0: Good morning Chapel Hill. One of the things that Pastor Sunorn uh, told me earlier today was one of the reasons that our Corrections Department is interested in finding out what a a Thai preacher is doing in their prison department is the recidivism rate. 60% of the inmates who leave prison and go into society, 60% return to prison in uh, in Thailand Those who have gone through their ministry, less than 1% return to prison. That's why they want to talk to him. I just love it because they are going to be very befuddled figuring out what to do with all this religious stuff that actually seems to make a difference. So praise the Lord. It's an honor to welcome you to our church this day. A few days ago, I was dead asleep. I normally wake up before my alarm, but my alarm went off. It was kind of loud, it startled me uh, awake, and so I, I flipped over quickly to to turn it off what i didn 't realize was how close I was to the side of the bed, and I flipped myself right out of the bed, onto the floor, hit my head on the edge of my nightstand as I went to the ground, and I just lay there on the floor, stunned my wife Cindy was still in North Carolina at the time, so at least I avoided the indignity of my own wife watching me fall out of bed. But then I thought, what if I had injured myself? I mean, I don't have one of those, I've fallen and I can't get up buttons hanging around my neck, and I thought of what an unpleasant return that would have been for Cindy when she walked through the door five days later. Honey, I'm home. What's that smell? So... It was not a very pleasant start to my day. This morning in Luke's gospel, we discover that Jesus is about to get started in his ministry. After 30 years of silence, obedience in Nazareth, he has been introduced by John the Baptist. Uh, He has been baptized. The Holy Spirit has descended upon him. The voice of his heavenly father had pronounced words of blessing upon him. You are my beloved son. I am so proud of you. It's like God was saying, go get him, tiger. Go get him. Well, in the very next scene, Jesus does go get him. But not in the way that you might have expected. Because before his ministry starts, first comes his testing. And it starts out really rough. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4 as we continue our journey through Luke's gospel. Verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, It will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And the devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up Lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified. By all. This is the word of the Lord. So, we have an enemy. We have a spiritual enemy. His Hebrew name is Satan. Satan. When I first typed this sermon, I mistyped it Stan. <laughs> Not a very intimidating name for this, you know, the arch enemy of our spirit. But most people don't really believe in Stan, uh, as it turns out. Even many Christians don't. We caricature him with red skin and fangs and horns and pitchfork. But the scripture actually suggests that Satan was at one time one of God's most beautiful and most powerful angels. Until he became puffed up with pride and led a rebellion against God and was cast from heaven along with the angels who had followed him. The gospel writer Luke believed in Satan, so did the gospel writer John. John called Satan the father of lies and the ruler of this world. The apostle Paul believed in him. All the disciples and all of the early church believed in him. And most importantly, Jesus believed in a real, literal, spiritual enemy. Perhaps Jesus had Satan in mind when he spoke of the thief who comes to kill and steal and destroy. And that line in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil, do you know that it could be just as accurately translated, deliver us from the evil one. So if you have up to now dismissed the idea of a Satan, a real personal spiritual enemy, I hope that you will reconsider. The Greek name for Satan is diabolos, devil. And that comes from two Greek words, dia, which means through, and balo, which means to throw or to cast. And so literally, diabolos means to throw something through something, to divide by force, to separate. I will illustrate The literal word devil means the splitter. The splitter. And his evil purpose is to divide. It is to split. That is what the devil wished to do with Jesus. Before he had preached his first sermon, before he had performed his first miracle, before he had cast out his first demon, he was going to split Jesus off from his spiritual heavenly father. He was going to take him out of the game before he had thrown his first pitch. And this is exactly what he wants to do to you, and you, and you, and you, and every single one of you. The devil, the splitter, wants to split husband from wife wants to split children from their parents, wants to split grandparents from their grandchildren, wants to split friend from friend, wants to split society apart, and he's doing a bang-up job on that one. He wants to split us away from our own best selves. And most urgently, he wants to split people off from their loving God. The devil, the splitter, is real. And this battle that we just read about, this final testing ground for Jesus before his ministry begins, teaches us how we can prepare for the spiritual harassment that will come. It is sure to come in your life. So I want you to recognize the splitter's tactics. I want you to recognize when he attacks, what he attacks, and how he attacks. All right? So here we go. First of all, when? When does he attack? Luke tells us that Jesus fasted for 40 days. And at the end of that period of time, he was hungry. Duh. And he must have been weary, too. And he was very alone. And it was then that the spirit, spirit, uh, the splitter attacked him. And if you were to sketch out an, an environment in which you are most vulnerable to spiritual attack, there it is. There's an acrostic. Maybe some of you have heard it. Halt. Anybody? It stands for hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And if you want to know when you, are, when you are vulnerable to spiritual attack, there it is. And Jesus was at least three of these, and maybe he was angry too because he knew he was being attacked by the enemy of his soul. The devil saw his chance when Jesus was hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. He attacked. The devil doesn't attack us when we are strong. The devil doesn't attack us when our relationship with God is powerful. The devil doesn't attack us when our relationships are good or when we are in good shape physically. He attacks us when we are depleted. Peter tells us that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Imagine that image for a moment. He prowls around looking for the one who's hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. We've all watched those nature shows where the lion is sneaking up on the lonely, weak, tired little gazelle off from the rest of the herd, sneaking up in the grass. And we are shouting at the TV, Watch out, gazelle! Run away, gazelle! He never hears us. And of course, the lion takes him out. And it turns out these are our most vulnerable moments too. When we are hungry, when we are angry, when we are lonely, when we are tired, those are the moments he pounces. That's the win. And if you are in a season like that in your own life, you would do well to recognize those moments so that you are more alert to the attack of the enemy. So that's the win. Here is the what he attacks. He attacks our identity. I want you to look at the splitter's opening six words. He says to Jesus, If you are the Son of God. Wait a second. Do you remember the voice that it spoke from heaven during Jesus' baptism? It said, what? You are my beloved Son. God the Father had broken into time and space to affirm His love for and His pride in His Son. And the splitter's very first divisive attack is to call into question that identity. Are you really the Son of God? Really? And that's still his way. In our moments of weakness, in our moments of vulnerability, Satan attacks our identity. He whispers, are you really a beloved child of God? Really? Are you really forgiven Think of all those bad things you have done. How can you possibly be a child of God? You don't deserve to be a child of God. It's pure arrogance. That is the splitter. His wicked, divisive strategy to cause you to question your identity in Christ and to mistrust the promises of Almighty God. So that's the win. And that's the what of his attack. Now I want you to notice how the splitter attacks us. He harasses us often in these three areas. The area of provision, the area of power, and the area of presumption. Let's look at each of those. Satan first tempted Jesus to miraculously turn stones into bread. And why not? After 40 days, he was famished. So what's the big deal? Why couldn't he whip up this little miraculous meal for himself? He'd be doing it for thousands of people in a few days on a hillside near Galilee. What's really going on here? Well, what, the, what is going on is this. The splitter is telling Jesus that his Father in heaven cannot be trusted to provide for his needs. That he had better take these matters into his own hands, out of his own, look out for his own interests because God will not do it. And I think this is a moment in history when we are particularly vulnerable to this attack. We're coming out of a pandemic when our physical health was threatened. We are in the midst of an economic downturn in which our financial well-being is threatened. Inflation is rampant. Trillions of dollars of debt are being added to the crushing burden that our children and our grandchildren are going to have to bear My financial advisor reached out this week to do our quarterly review of our accounts. I don't want to call him back. I don't don't want to know. I'm too scared to call him back. And of course at the bottom of that fear, my fear, is the devil's lie that God, who has always taken care of me, doesn't have much stamina. His provision is going to peter out. And that prayer that Jesus taught to trust God will give us our daily bread, those are, those are just empty words. And this is the splitter's attack. Is he attacking you in your area of provision? We've had a slump in our giving in our church after a remarkable first half of a year. And even though we've seen a resurgence in attendance, even though programs are back stronger than ever, even though there's excitement around the For the One initiative that we have launched, even though people get excited when they see Pastor this morning talking about the fact that we are giving away 25% of every dollar beyond these walls and around the world to support wonderful partners like this. Even though we are seeing all of that, we are seeing giving softening. And I wonder how many of us are afraid to be generous to the Lord's work because if we write that tithe check, we're not really sure He will provide for our needs. Not really sure He will make up the difference. And so we'd better hold back just in case. You can't really trust God to meet all of your needs, can you? That's the first lie of the splitter. Is it a lie that you're listening to? The second temptation was to power. If Jesus would simply bow down and worship the devil, he would happily give him authority over all the kingdoms of the world. Is there any person in this room who doesn't want to be in control of their own life and wouldn't mind being in control of a few others too? Some of you really like that. We, Some of us really like control, like power. For some people, this desire for power and glory, the desire to control their own lives and the lives of others, it is their greatest idolatry. A greatest area of vulnerability to spiritual attack. And so I'll confess to you, this this can be an area of vulnerability for me. I'm a leader, I like being a leader, I like planning for my future and the future of others. I like looking ahead to the next five years and imagining where God is taking us. But when uncertainty clouds my vision, when I can't see clearly where I'm going, I tend to worry. And that is always so helpful, isn't it? Worry. It's so productive to stress out and to spiral and to hold on tight because I guess... I don't completely believe that God is capable of superintending my life and our future. And it's pathetic. I should be able to look back over my reasonably long life and say, look how skillfully and faithfully the Lord has guided me the whole way. Why can't I trust Him that He will guide me into my future as well? I can relax. But I don't relax. I worry and I cinch up and I perseverate over things which I have no control. I have a name for it. I call it toilet bowling. It's like you get in a circle and it's faster and faster and faster until you're right down the tube. I want to grasp for control. And in those moments I realize I am a functional atheist. I am a functional atheist because I say I believe in a sovereign God who's in control of every part of my life, but then I think and act and fret as if God doesn't even exist. I want to be in control. I want the power because I'm not sure I can count on God to come through for me. And when I reach that point, once again, the splitter wins. So provision and power. And then the third temptation I see here is presumption. This is a little bit different. Follow me here on this one. Here's what I mean. In the first two instances that we just talked about, provision and power, the splitter tempts us to believe that God cannot be trusted. He can't be trusted to provide for us, he can't be trusted to direct our lives. But then when Satan sees that that doesn't work, he swings in the other direction entirely. He tries to tempt Jesus to presume upon God's provision, to presume a God, upon God's protection. In the first two instances, the devil tempts us to take God too lightly. And in the last instance, the devil tempts us to take God for granted, and that is presumption. If you are the Son of God, there's that attack again, then live recklessly, Satan says, God's going to take care of you anyway, so throw yourself headlong off of this high place and His angels will catch you. If God is as great as you say He is, then prove it. This is the temptation of presumption, of presuming upon your relationship with God, of living a spiritually careless life because, well, because you're saved. And if you're saved, once saved, always saved. We Presbyterians believe that doesn't matter how you live well, this may be the most dangerous temptation for long-time Christians. We've asked Jesus into our lives. We know that we've been saved. And so we can begin to think that it really doesn't matter how we live. After all, God has already punched our ticket. We got our spiritual fire insurance. We know we're going to heaven when we die. And so we can live any old way we want to, throw caution to the wind, live recklessly, live indifferently. And so we don't, we don't seek the protection of the community of faith on a regular basis. We don't worship regularly. We don't study God's Word or pray regularly. We aren't in accountability relationships like life groups. We drink recklessly or eat recklessly or play recklessly. We treat our marriages or our singleness recklessly. All because we have our Christian get-out-of-jail-free card. If the devil can't keep us from becoming Christians, the next best thing he can do is to convince us that because we are Christians, we have a pass on living a holy life as God desires. We can live recklessly, carelessly, and presume upon the grace of God. It is a very dangerous place to be. So provision, and power, and presumption, these are three targets that the splitter loves to attack. So what do we do about it? Are we at the mercy of this awful guy? What does Jesus teach us? How... Do we conquer the splitter for Christ was certainly victorious over him. The splitter, as you saw, he gave up. He said, I'll look for another time, an opportune time. He just, he gave up in that moment. So how did Jesus conquer the splitter? In two ways, I think. Holy Scripture and the Holy Spirit. Holy Scripture and the Holy Spirit. Every time the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus replied with God's word. Every time, he quoted Scripture back to him. And I find this interesting. He never, he refused to engage with the devil. He refused to get into an argument with him. Refused to get into a a debate with him. Actually, Jesus barely gave the devil the time of day. He simply spoke God's powerful word, the promises of Scripture, and then turned his back on him and ignored him. And we need to see the power in this. I have discovered that In the seasons of my anxiety and stress, the most important spiritual discipline I have developed to battle those moments is scripture memory. The way I have found to most effectively fight the splitter in my life is the scripture memory. Most recently I've been living in Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul talks about the armor of God that we need to clothe ourselves with in order to undertake this spiritual battle. And so I memorized that passage and I, every day for a season when I felt particular stress, I tried to put that armor back on every single day. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes that are shod, the feet that are shod with the gospel of peace, the the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Every morning I put that back on and reminded myself and reminded the Lord that He was the one who was going to protect me. For me, Philippians chapter 4 is my go-to memory verse. If you've never memorized anything, start with Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Make your request be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Psalm 139, Psalm 23, Romans 8, Romans 12, 1 Peter 5. These are the passages that I've spent months in, soaking in them, putting them into my heart, into my soul. So when the devil came calling, I had a retort, I had a response. Paul tells us that the only offensive weapon that we have as Christians is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you do not read God's Word daily, if you aren't memorizing God's Word and storing it away in your soul, you will not be ready to fight back when the splitter opens fire. So the first incredible response of Jesus was Holy Scripture. The second was the Holy Spirit. The opening verse of our text reminds us that Jesus was full of the Spirit. And the closing verse of the story says Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. He went into his season of testing, led there and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He ended that testing victoriously and commenced his ministry, led by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. No gospel emphasizes the importance, the power of the Holy Spirit more than Luke's gospel. We'll see it again and again and again, so you better get used to it. If you want to stand firm against the splitter, then as I've said so many times already this last summer, make sure your regular prayer life includes these words, fill me Holy Spirit. Fill me anew, Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power, your peace, your wisdom, your faith, your courage. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We need more of he who is in us so that we can remain victorious over he who is in the world. Provision, can you trust God to care for you? Power, can I relinquish control of my life? Presumption, am I taking God for granted? Am I living a spiritually reckless life because I think I've got my spiritual ticket punched? These are still the areas that the splitter wants to attack you. Jesus conquered him and was launched into his ministry. And Jesus today wants to help you conquer the divisive harassment of our enemy, the splitter, so that he can make use of you for the sake of his kingdom. Did you know that the Lord's Prayer actually addresses all of the areas of temptation that the splitter uh, attacked Jesus on in the the wilderness? And so we are going to repeat that Lord's Prayer in a moment, and as I told you, that evil one, it could just as accurately be translated, uh, delivers from evil, could just as accurately be translated, deliver us from the evil one. And so we are going to say that prayer together and we're going to say that in the coming weeks to remind us of the battle that we are facing but the greater hope that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So bow with me and join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are our protector. We thank you that in Christ we have been delivered from the work of the enemy. We thank you that in Christ we can stand against the attack of the enemy. When he tells us that God will not provide, when he tells us that God will not direct our lives, when he tempts us to take you for granted, to take you, be presumptuous towards you, in those moments, Spirit, you are the one who reminds us whose we are, who we are, and who is victorious in the end. So Lord Jesus, you who have conquered death, you who have conquered the enemy, would you remind us that we also are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave his life for us. May we begin to live as if we have that victory. May we begin to live as if that spirit is overflowing in us. May we begin to live as if this word of God is on our lips, in our hearts, and sharper than a two-edged sword. May we begin to live that way. Holy God, we come to you now and we offer to you this prayer which your son taught us to pray. May we pray it and in the praying of it be reminded of our victory over the evil one. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever, and all of God's people said, amen.
1: Will you stand and join us as we sing this song? Dark addiction starts to break, declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak, Jesus. Let's sing it out. Today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10:30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at ChapelHillPC.org. Jesus.